amen and amen. Father, thank you so much that we get to come and worship you today. It is my prayer that as we sung these songs, that, Lord, our heart is right with you. And that, Lord, that we have come, Father, to learn from you what you'd have for us in the message today. Thank you, Lord, for our choir. Thank you for our orchestra. Thank you for this congregation. Lord, we get the privilege of worshiping you today. And it is my prayer that we will gain ownership of our praise unto thee as well. And we'll praise you and continue to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. I don't know about you, but I enjoy today uh, the worship. And I always do. Some days we have better enjoyment than other days. Sometimes there's something wrong in our own spirit. Is that not correct? Sometimes the old devil doesn't want us to enjoy our worship of the Lord. And so he'll keep us up late at night or cause us to have something in our soul that can create some conflict there. God wants us to worship him in truth and holiness uh, and in spirit. Uh, and I trust that you've done that this morning. Uh, Ernie, thank you for that verse this morning in Psalm uh, 84, was it? I'm trying to think of, yeah, 84. Psalm 84, verse 11. Forty years ago, my wife and I quoted that together uh, at our wedding as a part of our vows. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. We have a great God who's true to his word. God's got the very best for us. And sometimes we don't always recognize it, but I trust that the Lord will speak to our hearts today. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew's account. <clears throat> no, excuse me, Luke's account. And uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 36. You're going to want to kind of put your finger here. We're going to read these verses as we get into the message uh, <clears throat> today. So we'll be in Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. Through verse 50. Luke 36 through 50. Last week we uh, looked at John the Baptist in prison. And again, if you are not here, maybe missing a service, I know summer times people will be gone. Our choir had a few folks missing this morning already, and uh, summers can be uh, where we scatter around and all. I hope you'll find a good church to get into. When you're on vacation, we never take a vacation from the Lord. Amen to that. We want to keep having our devotion times and, and, and all. But as we maybe will miss some services or things like that, remember that our services are on Facebook Live, and you can just go to WBC Eugene on Facebook or to our website, and you can watch it either live or you can watch it pre-recorded. And so if you weren't here last week and you want to know more about John the Baptist, there's a lot said about this man, no greater prophet born of a woman than John the Baptist, a lot said about him. And how he preached, and boy, the power of, of the word. And think about it, that after 400 years of silence, basically, from the book of Malachi that prophesied about the next coming prophet in Malachi chapter 3, it said there would be coming one after the spirit of Elijah. After 400 years of those signs, here he shows up on the scene. And I'm telling you what, he preached a thundering message, didn't he? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the way, in the book of Revelation, it also talks about the next prophets to come. And we need to understand that. So Revelation gives us the next two prophets. And again, we'll be after the spirit of Elijah. There in uh, the book of Revelation at the end times during the tribulation period. Been enjoying our study on Sunday nights on the book of Revelation. Tonight we're going to be having a graduation. I hope you'll come back tonight as we honor the graduates and have a special time around here for that evening service. But we come to church to hear the word of God. And we want God's word to break our hearts. Would you agree with me on that? Uh, and, and as we come to services, I hope that this morning you've already uh, prayed or even during our prayer time here that you've prayed. Say, Lord, speak to my heart. Help me to understand what you want me uh, to receive. Oh, I tell you what, sometimes we can make excuses. We can make excuses why we're not in church. We can make excuses why we're not in our devotions. We can make excuses why we don't serve the Lord. We can make excuses why we're struggling with various things. But I'll tell you what, excuses will not hold water in the books of eternity. 
And it was interesting as I was reading in uh, there in Nehemiah and then the book of, uh, let's see, Nehemiah and Esther comes next. Esther comes next. And uh, in uh, chapter somewhere around four, I believe, uh, Mordecai hears about the struggles that all the Jews are going to be killed by the request of Haman. You all know that story, possibly. And Mordecai puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he goes out there, and Esther sees him out there in the sackcloth and ashes. She's wondering what in the world is going on with her cousin, who had adopted her as <clears throat> her daughter, basically. And uh, so she sends a message out there. The messenger hears what is happening, comes back and tells uh, Esther the thing, and... The, and uh, <clears throat> And Mordecai said to uh, the servant, you tell Esther to go to the king. And Esther, when she hears this message, she says, I can't go to the king uh, he, uh, he, if, unless he raises his scepter or he bids me to come or I could die. Now, on the surface, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Uh Mordecai got that message back from this servant. He says, now you go tell Esther what makes you think you'll be excused from that execution. And what I read in there, Brother Turner, is that Mordecai did not listen to her excuse. Y'all hear me? We can do people a disservice by allowing them to get good at making excuses. Right or wrong? Right or wrong? We are ruining our children by allowing them to learn how to make good excuses. Now, God's word is God's word. And this morning, you might say, well, the pastor might, must be preaching at somebody else. No, I'm preaching right at you this morning, all right? And I'm preaching to me this morning. And I tell you what, I'm thankful for a God in heaven who stops me in my excuses. And the better we get to listening to the Spirit of God, speaking to us and telling us what we need, and humbling ourselves, I'm telling you what, pride keeps us from going on before the Lord, and we can make excuses, and we can get in a tit-for-tat type of argument. I'm in the book of Job right now. I, you're, you're probably close to there as well, many of you, in reading through the Bible. You're, and you know what? In the book of Job, there's tit for tat in there. And, and, and people are just battering back and forth and everything and, uh, and uh, not wanting to accept the messages. May God speak to our hearts and not to argue with God, but, but to, to put down our rights and put down our pride. How'd you speak? Help me, guide me. It's not worth going in the wrong direction. Now, we're going to look at this morning here in Luke chapter 7. You see, what do they have to do with the message? Nothing. We're going to look at this morning uh, an account that is only in Luke's account. Now, understand, there are somewhere around 35, 36 miracles that the Lord did in his earthly uh, close to four years, actually, of ministry. And Luke has certain ones that he mentions, Matthew certain ones that he mentions. And as we've already tried to emphasize, is the gospel emphasizes various aspects. And so if you want to understand in greater the sovereignty of God, and by the way, Job's book really emphasizes the sovereignty of God, and really, that's where Job hits it spot on, is the sovereignty of God. God can do whatever God wants to do, though Job missed that it was not God's hands that were causing the afflictions in his life. It was Satan's hands that were causing those afflictions, and many times Christians miss those, uh, those things in their lives. But the sovereignty of God is emphasized in the book of Matthew. He's the king. And then the servanthood of God. I mean, it starts off with Mark chapter 1. You start off with chapter 1 in, Ma in Mark's account, and it's showing him as a servant. And then staying with S's, and I, I, uh, I, 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 maybe somebody could come up with a better S here, but the seeing of the Savior. The seeing of the Savior. 
we study Luke. Because Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man. And what you're going to see is how he presents this Son of Man as he comes to this world and the idea that he sees what's going on in our lives. And he has great compassion. Then if you want to study the sonship of Jesus, you talk about the deity of Jesus and the eternality of Jesus, you study John's Gospels. Does that make sense? You all have to write that down. I, I, that's, worth, that's worth coming to church for right there. Now, I want to emphasize this because <clears throat> we're going to look at this woman who anointed Jesus' feet. And I want to say this. Don't get her mixed up with Mary of Bethany who anointed Jesus' feet in the last few days of his life here. All right, does that make sense? Don't get that mixed up. There was two anointings. People get confused. They say there's contradictions in the scriptures. No, there's not. And so here in this passage, we study about this woman who anointed Jesus' feet. But to understand how Jesus brings this passage, this miracle out, just in this, uh, when I say this miracle, the forgiveness of sins that's going to be brought upon this woman, uh, we, we look at, how Jesus, whoops, let me go back here. How Jesus and how Matthew talks about the thieves on the cross. Now I want you to see this so that we can understand the seeing of the Savior. When it talks about Matthew 27, 44, it talks about the thief, thieves also which were crucified with him, cast the same uh, in his teeth. Now that's all that Matthew says about the thief on the cross. Okay? They both rallied at him, or the one did especially. Mark says, and they uh, bring him into the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. I wrote down the wrong verse, but it talks about there basically the same words that are found in Matthew's account. But listen to what it says in Luke, and notice the difference. Matthew's account, talking about these two thieves, they were just there. know this account, and it's only recorded here in, in Luke's account, where it says, and one of the malefactors which were hanging railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for we receive the due rewards of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. You see, that's missing in Matthew's account, and that's missing in Mark's account, right? It's not there. So what is Luke trying to bring out here in the Son of Man? The seeing of a Savior. Talking about, you'll find, just like this woman that we're going to be reading about here, that Jesus looks, yeah, there's the Son of Man coming to, to save, to seek, and to save sinners. Alright? And so here in verse 42, and he said unto Jesus, this thief hanging there on the cross, which is not recorded in Matthew's account or Luke's or Mark's account, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen? You see, Luke gives us even greater insight into the seeing of the Savior that he came and he saw this thief on the cross. And that thief, by the way, in Matthew and Mark's account, the thief still said the same thing, but it's not recorded there. But in Luke's account, it is. And that thief, in his dying moments, accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And can I say here, there is no sinner too great that God cannot save them. The thing is, you need to see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior. Does this thief see himself as a sinner? Yes, he does. Understand that. He says, we deserve to be here. But this man does not. When you think you deserve to go to heaven, you are as lost as a skunk. But when you understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ died on that cross, then you can put your faith and trust in Him and He will save you. Amen to that? 
All right, so let's get into this story, all right? Are you ready? Not a story, an event. I, I have to be careful how I say that. There's certain things in how we say it, and, and sometimes I get a little carried away here. And some of you know that. My wife told me not to get too carried away today, so I will try not to. But this passage is so amazing. By the way, the first time that we see the seeing God is here in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. And uh, it says, this is talking about Hagar. Hagar, remember, was the uh, servant to Abraham who uh, they had Ishmael, who brings the Arab nations out there. Notice here, this is the first time that he is mentioned as the seeing God. She called the name of the Lord that spake unto her because God came and spoke to her. The angel of the Lord came and spoke to her as she was running away. Thou God sees me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? And it's a wonderful story there of the compassion of the Lord. Does God see us? He surely does. I hope we understand that. Notice here as we begin reading in this passage, we're in uh, uh, Luke chapter 7. Let's begin reading in verse 36. And one of the Pharisees, desired him that he should eat with him. Now remember, this is in the second year of the ministry. As I said last week, that the tide is starting to turn and the antagonism now is gaining in the religious crowd against Jesus because of the miracles that he's doing. But here what we see is a Pharisee inviting Jesus Christ to come in and to eat with him and he, he went in to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And when it says desiring there, it's actually in the imperfect tense, which is that tense that there was something leading up to this invitation. I dare say these Pharisees saw all that Jesus had done, and now this Pharisee, brings Jesus into his house. He wants to question him. All right? So he has an inquisitive heart as he brings Jesus in. And yes, he is showing hospitality, maybe to what we would consider a very, a very unlikely house guest. But the word hospitality means lovers of strangers. That's what the word hospitality means. Lovers of strangers. Now let me ask you a question. By the way, we've been doing a great study on Wednesday night, What Makes a Healthy Us. And I want to encourage all of us as a church to be a lover of strangers. That's what the word hospitality means. Do we have any guests here this morning? We do. Jessica's fiancé. I met him in the restroom this morning, kind of a, and we just got to talking back and forth. And I said, you must be Jessica's fiance. Never met him in my life. You must be Jessica's fiance. And I said, you look like someone that Jessica needs. Amen. Great God. Jessica. Woo. Congratulations. Congratulations. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? We have guests here in our church, and they should never feel like a stranger. Sometimes some people say, well, you know, I just, there's so many new folks in our church, I just don't get, I don't know. Get to know them. Amen? Praise the Lord. You know, this gal has been coming for a long time. And I know her name means something like jolly. And then I think of uh, Molly. But it's Rosie. Everyone say, Rosie. And everyone's going to shake hands with Rosie this morning. Amen to that? We had some other guests this morning. I met a Joe this morning. And I met a Steve and his wonderful family. Gus and... Mac, 
man, that is two boys that I want to have on my team. Amen? One's not even two years of age yet. Gus and Mac. Wow. Can we remember people's names? Sometimes. <laughs> You're talking to one who prayed for 10 years that God would help remember names. We have directors out there to help us to get names. That's why, by the way, pictures in the directory are important so that we can see what people look like. Amen to that? We might want to get some name badges up here and all, and all, but let's get to meet people. That's all right. A lover of strangers. And here Jesus comes in, in this hospitality, having someone into your house. Sometimes we can make excuses saying, well, my house just isn't compatible to bring somebody in. Well, I don't know what excuses we can have for this and all. And some people are given more to hospitality than others. By the way, in 1 Peter, I believe it is, it is kind of given as a spiritual gift there. And there are some people who, man, you, you won't be a stranger to anybody. And no stranger will be a stranger to you. That's a gift, isn't it? Amen to that? We, we feel comfortable around people. Well, here Jesus accepts this invitation into this Pharisee's house. And as he goes in, notice what verse 37. And behold. Now that's interesting word, isn't it? And behold, guess what? Someone crashes the party. Just like as if she shows up, notice a woman in the city, which was a, what, sinner, good chance that she was a prostitute, okay? That's what most Bible scholars would say, that she was probably a prostitute, the way it's described here. A prostitute shows up. Can you get this picture? Here's the creator of the universe. Here's this. Pharisee, and here's this prostitute. Get the picture? Got it? Get it in our minds. It says, a sinner, which she knew, or excuse me, when she knew that Jesus sat at the meal in the Pharisee's house. I, I find these words, I hang on some of these words. She knew where Jesus was. And she comes. And even though there's all the fancy clothes and all the drapings of this meal, she brought an alabaster box of ointment. You can see how you can get confused with Mary of Bethany, couldn't you? Because the picture a lot is similar here. This alabaster box was an expensive container. And in that container was expensive ointment. More than likely that purchased by her prostitution. You all get that? And she brings it in. And notice how the story unfolds. Verse 38. And she stood at his feet. Now, can you imagine what everybody was thinking when this woman showed up? By the way, did they know who she was? You'll find out later they did. Oh, she's got a past. By the way, how many of you have a past? Can I hear, see your hands? Okay. I didn't think you just showed up on the scene today. But everybody's got a past. Everybody has a failure. Did anybody not fail God this week? She stood at his feet behind him. More than likely, as the picture shows uh, there behind me, it shows how that they would recline for these meals. And she stood at his feet, and, 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 and it says, and, and, and she was weeping 
weeping. This word is an unusual word. As we shared on Wednesday night in our study, there are somewhere around six Greek words for weeping. Depending on the anguish of the soul, but this word is like a child. That Have you ever heard a child who has been hurt deeply and there's that cry that comes out of them? You know that it's very real. It's not a fake cry. I always told my kids that uh, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> but this was a, a deep hurt. It is the word of the widow that we learned a couple weeks ago that her son had died. The Bible says she was weeping. It is the same word that is used of Peter when he went there to the, the uh, courtyard of, of, the, of uh, the high priest and he denied the Lord three times. And when the Lord looked at Peter and he saw Peter, it says that Peter wept bitterly. You see the word? It's also, as we talked about on Wednesday night, about rejoicing with them that do rejoice and weep with them that reap. We talk, we've been talking about sympathy on Wednesday nights. What makes a healthy us? It's a powerful word. In James chapter 4, verse 9, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. There are two aspects here that I see in this passage. Number one is this woman was contrite in heart because of her sins. And she wept because of her past life. She wept because of what was a part of her life. And she was coming to the Savior. Where's the weeping today? Over our sins. Have we lost sight of the holiness of God? May God help us. As I've been saying, and I personally believe, that God wants us to get our attention lest we become calloused in our hearts and make excuses. May God break our hearts and may we weep. May we weep. Do you all get what I'm saying this morning? May we weep. There is such a casualness today in our society. It's casual this and casual that and casual this. And oftentimes it's casual relationship with Jesus Christ. God does not want us to be casual with Him. God does not want us to be lukewarm. God wants us to be on fire for Him. Can I hear an amen to that? I say, the Bible says, what shall we do? Do it heartily as unto the Lord. Remember Pastor Nathan preaching on the Ephesus church. He says, I've got somewhat against you. You have left your first love. He says, repent and go back and find it. If you don't have a passion for God, if I don't have, if I, if I lose my passion for God, something has taken its place. The choir song this morning, did you hear that about the thrill and the passion for the Lord? There could be a couple reasons why we don't have a passion for God. Number one, we're not saved. Right? It's a good place to start. Am I saved? Or number two, there's sin in my life. And that sin could be selfishness. I love myself more than I love God. Now when I say that, I'm telling you what, my hand goes up often. Because there's times when I lose my passion because I have more of a desire to please myself. And it's good for us to be honest. This woman was honest. And I want you to hear the rest of the story too. As she comes there and she weeps over her sin, she's not lost sight of, of the holiness of God. She's not lost sight of the stench of sin. She wants to come to the Savior. The Bible says she didn't need water to wash his feet. Her tears were sufficient. Have you ever wept that that your tears could actually wash somebody's feet? Wow. A 
And then not only did it wash with her, uh, it says it washed his feet with tears and did wipe them with what? The hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil. Isn't that a precious picture? Now, only Luke brings this picture out. The seeing Savior. The seeing Savior washes with her glory. By the way, did you ladies know that 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that a woman's hair is her glory? Isn't that neat? A woman's hair is her glory. So men, if your wife spends a week taking care of her hair, it's all right. <laughs> what it actually means is that uh, the idea, because when you use the word glory, it means to reflect. So it reflects womanhood. Did you all hear what I just said? It reflects womanhood. Now I know men, we like to take care of, I used to like taking care of my hair when I had it. <laughs> but she wipes his feet and she kisses his feet. Isn't this something? Well, take your shoes off and ask yourself, would you want to kiss your feet? Ugh. Ah, but you know what the Bible says? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You know, the Bible says that if we share the gospel with other people, God says your feet are beautiful. Amen to that. Boy, what a powerful passage. We know these, these passages. And all, verse 39. And when, <clears throat> listen to this. And when the Pharisee which had bidden Jesus saw it. <sighs> saw it. What do we see? What do we look at? When we see people that are destitute or from prison or prostitutes or drug addicts or homeless or whatever, what do we see? <laughs> Praise God. And it's only by God's grace that we're not. Amen to that? He, now listen, he spake within himself. Don't you like that? His thoughts were going up. And this is what he's thinking. Isn't it interesting that it's recorded in Luke under inspiration, even the thoughts of man? This man, if he were a prophet, the Pharisees say, if Jesus were really from God, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is. Let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus knew what man or woman she was? Absolutely. She's a sinner. Do you get it? Do you see this story? Wow. Verse 46. And Jesus answered, and I like this. Jesus said, you know, <laughs> this Pharisee, he's thinking this in his mind. And Jesus, this is a part of a miracle here. He says, uh, whatever his name, I was going to call him Simon, but I don't know what his name is. It's not recorded here. Is it recorded here? Simon, does it say that? It does. Amen. Thank you for that. For some reason, I wanted to call him Simon all along, and I didn't see it in the beginning there, but now I see it again. Simon, I know what you're thinking. Now, by the way, can you look at people and know what they're thinking? Sometimes. Sometimes. Simon, I have somewhat to say unto you. And he said, Master, say on. Now, possibly, you know, he's saying, Teacher, tell me. Now, Jesus didn't say what he was thinking. You see that? And so, I imagine, like a lot of people, they'll, they'll be willing to receive instruction until it goes against what they want it to be. Have you ever been there? 
done that? I think we all have. He says, and he gives this parable. And now notice this as we go into the second part of this message, the seeing of the Savior. He says there was a certain creditor. It's interesting. He's going to tell a story now to Simon. Simon hasn't revealed his thoughts, but Jesus knew his thoughts. And he says, Simon, there was a creditor which had two debtors and one owing 500 pence or 500 days. A pence was considered a day of salary and the other 50 days of salary. Now today, if a man makes $200 a day, that would mean that the first guy owed 10000 excuse me, he owed $100,000. And the other guy, 50 pence, or 50 days salary, would be equivalent to, uh, maybe I got this wrong, $10,000. Is that right? Do the math. Did I do it right, Larry, or did I not do it right? Well, let's just take it that's that right, okay? Can we all agree? I, I, it's $100,000 to $10,000. And, and, and it says here that, verse 42, and when they had nothing to pay, I like that. You know where he's going with this? How many of us can pay for our debts when it comes to an almighty God? How much money do you and I have to pay our debts of our sin? Nothing, right? We have absolutely nothing. And the Lord is bringing out a story here to help this Pharisee named Simon to understand this. And he frankly, he forgave them both. He forgave $100,000 and he forgave the guy with $10,000 debt. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't that make you just feel special if someone says, all right, I'm going to pay your mortgage? How many would make that your day? Would that be all right? Some of you are saying, man, I wish I had $100,000 debt only or $10,000 debt only. But he forgives all their debts. I mean, he doesn't say, I'm going to forgive uh, 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 $9,000. I'm going to forgive all of your debt. They had nothing to pay. Then he says to Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Now, can you kind of see the wheels of Simon's mind start turning? Look what Simon answers him and said, what? I, what? Verse 43, what? I suppose. That's interesting. He doesn't want conviction to come into his heart. He's kind of seen where this is going. Maybe right now you're sitting there, you're saying, well, I can see where this is going. This is going to our need of a Savior. This is going for our need of getting right with God. But you know what? We can sit in our, our pews, we can come before the Lord, and we can say, I suppose you're right. Are we ever going to get right by saying, I suppose? Here, he goes on, and he says, I suppose... That he to whom much is forgiven. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. Now what he's saying here, he says, you have addressed the obvious, but I want to address the unobvious to you. Verse 43, and he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. I find that interesting, don't you? He turns the woman. He wants Simon to pay attention. Seest thou this woman? Simon, do you see this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears. She has wiped them with her hair and her head, uh, the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head... Uh, my head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. They're let go. It's in the perfect passive. Perfect passive. Which means, from this moment on, she has been freed from her sins. 
because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not because of the woman. Catch that. That's the passive sense. It's not because of what she did. It's what Jesus did. Jesus is the one that forgave her her sins just like us. She's loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Can I just stop here and just say this? My love will grow proportionate to my understanding of his forgiveness to me. And the more I let his love grow into my heart, the more I realize how much of a sinner he has saved. Because the closer you get to the holiness of God, the more you see your sin. And then I can cry out and say, oh God, forgive me. And he's faithful and just to forgive us. Aren't we glad for that? We have a forgiving, forgiving God. But that's not the end of the story. He says in verse 48, And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. Oh, praise the Lord for that. Verse 49, And they that sat at meat, there was probably some more Pharisees there, began to say within themselves. Now, probably they're talking amongst themselves right here. But they're saying amongst themselves, who is this that can forgive sin? Guess who he is? He's God. And only God can forgive sins. And when Jesus Christ said that he is the way to heaven, and he's the only way to heaven, I don't want to call him a liar. How about you? And also, if he says, I forgive you of your sins, let's believe him. Amen, Christians? And if you've not had your sins forgiven, and you've not come to the Savior because of seeing your need as a sinner, why not today come to him? You see, I think there's two aspects into this story that we're looking at. Number one, our need of a Savior as we recognize ourselves as a sinner. That's number one. And if you're not certain of your eternal destiny, you're not certain that you will have peace with God. By the way, it says here, he says in verse 50, And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. The wrath of God was settled on the cross to those who had accepted him as their Savior. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, my friend, you will see the wrath of God. Because God is a holy God. Yes, God is a loving God. And He's done everything He can to save you. Apart from you making that choice and inviting Christ in your heart. And if God speaks into your heart right now, why don't you just invite Him in? Say, I see myself as a sinner. I need a Savior. The second thing that we can get from this this morning is this aspect of hospitality. Do you all get it when we started that? Do we all get that sometimes our attitude can be stinking? And far as I'm concerned in this passage, it can be stinking as far as even prostitution. Yes or no? You see, when we begin to think that our sins aren't as bad as somebody else, we're in a bad place, my friends. The Bible says even that if we look upon a woman and lust after her, we've committed adultery in our hearts. God knows what's going on in our heart. Do we see that in this passage? But God opened our understanding that we might understand the Scriptures, the seeing, the setting, God is able to save to the uttermost, as Hebrews 7.25 says. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And I started my invitation already. And number one is, are you saved? Are you saying, well, yeah, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. No, I'm, I want to ask you, have you developed a relationship with God and, that you're go and you know that you're going to live with Him forever? How would you describe your relationship with God? Boy, that's a good question to ask people here that aren't certain of their eternal destiny. It's also a question to ask all of us who have been saved for any period of time. Has our heart grown cold, calloused? What about this morning, my friend?
Are our ears closed or are they open this morning? Open our minds to understand the scriptures, Lord. So this morning, I want to ask these two things. Number one, if the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning, and uh, someone's going to be coming and playing the invitation song here in just a moment, we're going to be given an invitation. And as the instruments will be playing, and as we'll give this invitation, I wonder, number one, if I could address Christians here first of all. Because sometimes if we're not ready to get right with God and swallow our pride, we could actually be a death to the Spirit working in others. Because our witness won't be a light into this world and our feet won't be beautiful. Maybe we've let selfishness come in. Maybe we are not addressing our sins as we ought to. Brothers and sisters this morning, don't let your heart grow cold. And if God has spoken to your heart this morning, then why not right now say, God, I want my heart. I want to respond. I need to get back to weeping over sin. When's the last time that God spoke to your heart? What was the last thing that God asked you to do? When was the last time that you wept over sin? Are we too busy like Simon, maybe finding fault with other people? Can I say I've got so much to deal with my own life? I want to encourage you to come to an altar today and say, God, would you warm up my heart? Forgive me. Would you do that? Would you do that this morning? I wonder this morning as God spoke to your heart, you say, yes, preacher, I'm not only going to be a hearer of the word, but I want to be a doer of the word as well. I want God to speak my heart. And it might be, you know, we just talk about that. Just getting whatever scales off our eyes and off our hearts, we might see. I wonder if this morning with a show of hands, you say, God spoke to my heart. I want to be included in this closing prayer and invitation. Would you slip your hand up for just a moment? Amen. Amen. Mine goes up too. I wonder sometimes how I can do some of the things that I do. I ask God to forgive me. Are we more afraid of what people will think of us if we come to an old-fashioned altar? Are we wanting to come and say, Oh God, I want to bend my knee before you today. Then my second invitation this morning is to those who this morning you say, You know what? I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I see myself as a sinner. The Bible says, For all have sinned. And you say, I need to come to a Savior today. And I want to invite Him into my heart. And I want Him to forgive me of all of my sins. By the way, to appease the wrath of God, put your faith in Christ, and He'll forgive you of the penalty, which is damnation. He will forgive you of the penalty of eternal damnation forever and ever and give you a new life. You see, Pastor, that's my prayer this morning. We're going to sing just as I am. But if that's your prayer this morning, I'd like to pray with you with, as long as it's these others. If that's your prayer this morning, would you slip your hand up and hold it for just a second that I might acknowledge that? All right. Lord, you know our hands, you know our hearts. And as we sing a song that's familiar to all of us just as I am, I am so glad there was a time in my life that I came to the altar and got myself right with thee both many times but when I came to accept Jesus Christ you accepted me just as I am I didn't have to clean up my act I didn't have to become a goody two shoes I didn't have to become a Pharisee I just realized I was a sinner in need of a savior so I pray that this morning that you'll continue to work now in this invitation and we'll praise you for that in Jesus name let's stand to our feet if God spoke to your heart this morning you'd like counsel, someone to share with you about Christ, I encourage you to come now or at the conclusion of the service, but why don't we just bow our knees and tell the Lord what He's laid on our hearts. Let's sing Just As I Am without one plea.